When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. This podcast episode is brought to you by Coors Light. These days, everything is go, go, go. It's nonstop hustle all the time. Work, friends, family expect you to be on 24-7. Well, sometimes you just need to reach for a Coors Light because it's made to chill. Coors Light is cold lagered, cold filtered, and cold packaged. It's as crisp and refreshing as the Colorado Rockies. It is literally made to chill. Coors Light is the one I choose when I need to unwind. So when you want to hit reset, reach for the beer that's made to chill. Get Coors Light in the new look delivered straight to your door with Drizzly or Instacart. Celebrate responsibly. Coors Brewing Company, Golden, Colorado. So we're sitting here with Bruce Springsteen. It's good to see you, my friend. It's good to see you also. We come from such different places. It turns out there's a lot of overlap. Renegades, born in the USA. A new Spotify original podcast from Higher Ground. Listen free only on Spotify. Hey, it's Jay Zawoski. Thanks for tuning in to this episode of the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. I'll be right with you with the new episode in a matter of moments. But first, I want to let you know about my new Blackhawks book coming out on November 10th. It's called The Big 50, The Men and Moments That Made the Chicago Blackhawks. Published by Triumph Books, the foreword is written by two-time Stanley Cup champion, David Boland. If you're interested in ordering my book, and I would greatly appreciate it if you did, head to bookshop.org or bookiesbookstores.com to support great independent booksellers. If you're more of an Amazon kind of a person, you can get it there too, or any major book retailer. If you'd like a signed advanced copy of the book, head to madhousepod.com slash book. Click on the image there and fill out that Google form, and I will ship you a signed copy within days. The name of the book, The Big 50, The Men and Moments That Made the Chicago Blackhawks by Jay Zawoski, that's me, coming out November 10th from Triumph Books. You hit it right on the button there, Jay. The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast is brought to you by Triple Threat Sports, Marishka's in Crest Hill, Dr. Squatch Soap Company, and by Fry the Coop. Here are your hosts, NBC Chicago's James Naveau and 670 The Scores hockey guy, Jay Zawoski. Let's drop the puck. Welcome in, friends, to another edition of the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. My name is James Naveau from NBC5 Chicago. With me, of course, as always, is the one and only Jay Zawoski of 670 The Score of the I'm Fat Podcast of best-selling authorship fame, I suppose, and now the co-interviewer of GM Stan Bowman along with me. We are recording this the day after we chatted with Stan Bowman. Hope you guys have all gotten a chance to listen to that episode of the podcast. And Jay, I don't know about you, but... I feel a lot more big time today than I did yesterday. Oh, there's no doubt about that, especially when Stan raved about how we were his favorite interview, um, you know, saying how much he enjoyed being out with us. That was really nice to hear, especially, you know, you and I were talking before, like, we're a little bit, little bit nervous. It's the biggest guest we've ever had. We don't want to come off as stupid. We don't want to be too soft on a GM, but we also would like to have him back on the show. It's kind of a delicate balance, and I think uh, we did a pretty solid job, of course, as it ends, I'm like, well, here's 45 things I forgot to ask. But it also, like, <laughs> it, it ended up being that Bowman, for as, like, quiet of a reputation as he kind of has, was, like, fairly loquacious, I want to say. Like, he definitely, like, had some, like, four, five, six-minute answers that, like, definitely – that runs the clock really quickly. But it, it was honestly, like, very insightful, very interesting stuff. So I'm not going to complain about the length of the answers. But, yeah, there was – probably out of the two and a half pages of prepared kind of notes and topics and stuff that we had, I'd say just probably a little bit under half of it we did not get to because it just kind of time flies when you're having fun, I guess. Yeah. Uh, before we get into the whole thing, which we're going to, you can follow us on Twitter at MadhousePod, email us MadhousePod at gmail.com or on Instagram Madhouse underscore pod. Facebook is Madhouse Hockey CHI. Uh, and check out our merch shop, madhousepodmerch.com, powered by our friends at Triple Threat Sports. For all your team outfitting needs, call Chris, 
708-478-6090. Lots of cool stuff on there. More cool stuff to come. James, I stumbled across um, like the original concepts for our newer logo, and I found a bunch of things that could work on hats and on shirts, and so I'm going to send those over to Chris, and hopefully we can get a couple new items up there on, on the site. But there's a ton to choose from already, so go check that out, madhousepodmerch.com. And, of course, you can go to madhousepod.com for literally everything about the podcast, episodes, links to the shop, links to buy signed copies of my book, uh, links to our sponsors, literally everything you need is on madhousepod.com. Nude pictures of Jay as well. Um, Those are hidden, but they're there if you look closely enough. (laughs) So the way we figured to do this Stan Bowman reaction podcast, because we did an over an hour with Stan yesterday and didn't want to do a whole hour afterwards just reacting. We kind of wanted to absorb it, listen to it a couple more times. So we're going to come back and, and bring back some of the highlights we thought we had uh, from Stan and sort of react to those. And one of the things that stood out to me, and James, you mentioned uh, his longer answers. Uh, this was one of them. I asked him about uh, the veterans and specifically Duncan Keith expressing some frustration with the Blackhawks system and, and maybe with Jeremy Cowlton. Here's what Stan had to say to that question. Well, I think it's been a process, Jay. It's a, it's a good question. I'll give you some perspective on that. Um, I think the number one change is hard on anybody, whether you're an athlete, whether you're, you know, you're changing jobs or whether you're you know, doing something in your personal life. Change is tough on everybody, myself included. So some people can embrace change quicker than others. I think the one thing that is overlooked and maybe not talked about enough is it was a really unique circumstance for what we had in Chicago. I don't know that there's a parallel in all of sports where you had uh, one coach with one group of players for 10 years or eight years or nine years. It wasn't like the, so they had played only for essentially one coach for such a long time. Number one, coaches don't last that long in professional sports these days. So Joel was here a long, long time understandably so we had a ton of success um and those players were also for playing for one team for so long so they hadn't they hadn't dealt with trying to play for a different coach whether it's jeremy or whether it was scotty bowman it doesn't matter who that new coach would have been it was going to be an adjustment because you get familiar with you build up habits as a player and you have a lot of success with those habits. And, and you have a comfort level with doing things a certain way. Then a new coach comes in and you have new players. There's fewer of your, your teammates from years past there. We're down to just really four guys now that have been together. And all of a sudden we're doing things differently. And not dramatic. They don't have to be dramatic changes, but they are changes from the way they were. And I think it's hard. It's, it's not that they don't want to do it. It's it, they, they weren't having a lot of success executing and they were trying to build new habits, but they don't, they didn't, it wasn't happening very quickly for them. I think we saw it, certainly the first year when Jeremy took over that half of season, we were, we always looked like a step slow or behind because everyone was thinking then in hockey, it's so hard so they weren't, it's not that they weren't trying to do it. They were trying, but they were, they were sort of stuck in neutral all the time. And they were never, they were never as um, natural as they, they had been before when they could play with their eyes closed. So I think we've made, so they've made strides in learning some new habits, but it's taken, it's taken longer than I thought it would or that I thought it should and it, it's not really an unwillingness to do it, though. It's just the fact that it's, it's underestimated how hard that is. And we have other veterans who've played for four or five teams or three different coaches. So they come in and they say, okay, you want us to play that way? That's fine. Yeah, I did that two years ago. That's easy. I can do that. And our guys, they had a harder time with it. So you're right. Dunk, Dunk has made some comments about how this is not a developmental league. This is the NHL. And I don't disagree with Dunk. Uh, I think when, when those, you got to remember, when they came up in the NHL back in 2006, 7, and 8, the league was so much different than it is now. There, there was very few teenagers in the league back then. It was really unusual for Patrick to make the team 
right out of the draft. Now you get at least three or four guys every year that, that make their team. Like Kirby did it with us. Like back in 2007, I don't think Kirby would have stayed with us. Um, like Kaner was, was a superstar from the time he got here. But the league was different back then, and players probably earned their responsibilities more than they do now. But it's not that I think this way is a better way. There's nothing – I think those guys are from a different era, and in that era, you earned it more. You, you Dunk spent two years in the minors, two full seasons in, in Norfolk before he got his chance. So they're looking at like – but my point to those guys is, listen, the world is different now. The cap has changed the world. We need young, we need low priced players and low priced equals young. So we're giving young players more opportunity. Like Duncan get this chance when he was 20. He didn't, he was, he was down in the minors learning and in a perfect world, that's the way we would do it now, but we don't have that luxury. So we're trying to make the best of where we are today. And I think I've explained this to them. I, I think they get it. It's not that they don't get it. It's just, it takes them some time. So they're not bad guys or they're not fighting the system. I think they're just coming to grips with a changing landscape. And I actually give them credit for sticking with it. It's been hard for them. So I understand what they're saying. And I think that's, I hope you can have a little bit more perspective on that whole picture. I don't think that they're behind the scenes fighting it. It's just it's hard to change. So that, I think, James, that's the first time I've heard Stan talk about the struggles to grasp the system. And what stood out to me in that cut was the fact that he said it took them longer than he expected. I don't know if that's an encouraging thing or not. And when I still, as I think about that, I wonder, is that a coaching issue? Is that a player issue? And Stan went out of his way to say, Look, it's not like these guys aren't trying. It's not like they're bad guys. It's just tough to come off 10 years in one system, then jump into another, which I guess is fair. Mm-hmm. But I figured if anyone would be capable of it, it would be the four best players on the team. Yeah, but to be fair, like Patrick Kane and Jonathan Tabes, especially, like they basically had spent what, like all but one and one season and four games under Joel Quenville's system. Like, I definitely can understand where Stan was talking about the fact that, like, obviously Jeremy Colleton's system is going to be a departure from Joel Quenville's system, and it would take some time to kind of get used to that. I think that I think the thing that kind of uh, was intriguing to me is I think we kind of hit on that issue sometimes as Colleton was starting to kind of of, you know, grab the reins a little bit more as the head coach. I think that you and I and a lot of other Blackhawks fans and pundits and whatnot all did kind of notice that there was that little bit of a struggle to kind of pick up Colleton's system. And it just I'm wondering if maybe it's such a departure from the Quenville system that it just like you have to like retrain yourself. I know Stan yesterday during our conversation mentioned that guys really were thinking a lot on the ice instead of reacting, which obviously is something that can really slow you down, make you a less effective hockey player. I thought it was interesting. He brought that up. I thought it was interesting that he kind of brought up the challenges that Jeremy Colleton kind of had to deal with uh, coming into the system. And then I do think, even though obviously Stan isn't going to sit there and you know admit to this of course there still was I think some resistance on the part of at least some of those veteran players that they were like we don't want to play for this guy like we liked what we had under Joel and we're not you know going to sit here and learn an entire new system right away and there was some at least some initial resistance to that I thought all of those things could have potentially played a role in that and I thought Stan did a really good job of kind of running down some of those challenges and like you said I was a little bit surprised though that he kind of was open and transparent I guess about that specific uh, facet of all of this yeah and and you mentioned this the thing that stood out to me and, and this was definitely noticeable when Colleton took over he said the team looked slow and indecisive. Like you would see that moment of hesitation as the players were thinking. And part of the audio we're referencing is Duncan Keith was on the Spit and Chicklets podcast. I think it was middle of last season where he said that Quenville's system sort of allowed for more freelancing 
and use of instinct where Jeremy's is a little more regimented and, and systematic and things like that. And that's why he was sort of struggling with it. That would sort of explain why, especially really early on, you saw guys looking a step slow. It's because they were. They were they were hit with a situation on the ice or a development of a play, and they're saying, all right, what's the move here with the system, right? And, of course, if one guy's doing that, then chances are his defensive partner is doing that or his centerman's doing that, and maybe one of them makes a mistake or forgets what to do, and then you've got an odd man chance, then you're getting peppered with shots, and it's all a big disaster, right? And I think right. especially early on, that's I think that's what the Hawks were dealing with when Jeremy Cowan took over. And it definitely, I mean, we've seen that obviously play out with a lot of the young guys, too, that have been making the transition to the NHL. And I think the fact that we watch the games like so closely now, you, you are able to pick out guys who are kind of just fighting it a little bit or guys who are still kind of trying to overthink things, especially on the blue line. Like a guy that immediately comes to mind, for me at least in that situation, would be a guy like Adam Boquist, who at times, like obviously is having to make some adjustments, not only to coming into the NHL and playing at this level, but also having to make those adjustments coming into Jeremy Colleton's system. And obviously we talked about Adam and about all some of the other younger players with uh, Stan yesterday, but that kind of, I thought was an interesting, it was an interesting thing to me to hear that the veterans were struggling to make that adjustment to that system when all we really talk about generally is how difficult it is sometimes for young players to come into the league. So it was kind of cool to get that insight that, yeah, like, you know, I didn't really think about that, that of course a veteran is going to struggle when they've been in a system for 10 years and they move to another one. Like it was just really interesting to kind of have some of your preconceptions and some of your notions kind of challenged a little bit. And like you said, probably a good thing that we waited today to do this podcast because it gave us some time to kind of chew on some of that stuff that Stan had talked about. Definitely. And, and that sort of leads us into our next little piece of audio here uh, about Jeremy Cowton and well, what I said to him was, and I've said this on the podcast before, is I don't know if, if Jeremy Cowan's a bad coach. I just don't know if he's the right coach for this team at this moment. So after that sort of challenged him, James asked Sam Bowman about the qualities of Jeremy Cowan and why he's the right guy to lead this team going forward. I think his, his communication skills with the players are in line with what younger people today need, uh, the feedback that they need. And I'll go back a little bit again to talk about, um, you know, Taves and Kane and Keith and Seabrook. They came up in a different era when the coach would, would say to them, you got to be way better tomorrow. And then they would say, get out of get out of here and be better. And they would go and they would figure out how to be better. If you try to tell one of our players today, if you call them in and say, you were terrible last night, you better play better tomorrow or it's not going to work. They, they leave the room and they say like, well, what does that mean? Like, I don't even know what he's talking about. They want, show me, show like, can you, can you sit down with me? Let's, let's talk about it. Like, what did I do wrong there? Like, what do you want me to do different? They want, like I, I, my son's 18 years old and they want that feedback. You know, they want to know, they want to please you and they want to do what the coach wants, but they want you to show them. I think that's what Jeremy's strength is, is, he doesn't always tell them what they want to hear. Like he'll give them bad news, but at least then they know, okay, this is specifically what I'm talking about. This is what, this is why you're not going to play tomorrow. These are the things that we've, we've talked about. We gave you feedback. We worked with you on it. The game came, you didn't execute. So we need you to come out. We need you to think about it again, but then we need to put you back in there and give you another chance. And I think that's what, that's why I'm encouraged about where we're headed because there has to be that opportunity for a player who fails to earn, earn their way back in, in a short order. It's not earn their way back after three months of sitting out and finally there's no one else around. So, so if someone gets hurt, then you stick the guy back in. That's the way it used to work, but that's not the way it works anymore. And I think that's what, Jeremy's really good at. I think he he understands how to handle the modern athlete. 
That question was one that I definitely had wanted to ask Stan going into this interview because I know that a lot of people have obviously challenged uh, whether or not Jeremy Colleton is the correct coach for the Chicago Blackhawks right now. But instead of like kind of asking him about that, I wanted to hear directly from Stan specifically what he thought made Jeremy a good coach. And I know he's brought up communication before, etc. I thought it was really interesting that he kind of elaborated on some of the specific things that Colleton does with this newer generation of players, a generation of players that Stan said, you can't just tell them, oh, well, you know, be better. And then they go out and be better, I suppose. But what these younger players do is they respond a lot more to coaching than, you know, older vintage players. And I thought that was really interesting that he said Colleton kind of thrives in that era. And I would assume it's because of how young Jeremy Colleton is. And I thought that that whole idea of players wanting additional feedback, like it's something that probably seems like pretty obvious to most of our listeners, but obviously kind of hit me a little bit differently because I don't really look at a guy like Patrick Kane and a guy like Alex DeBrincat. I should look at it this way, but I don't. They are there really is an age gap there and there really is yeah. a difference in the style that of coaching that's needed to develop that talent. And I was glad that Stan brought that up. Well, there's 10 years between those guys. And, I know. Well, what? it's again, Jer- Patrick Kane's always going to be a young kid to me. I like, know. <laughs> <laughs> I know. Well, and, and I mean, even when you go to Keith, Keith is 37 and Alex Debrink it's 22. Like that's, that is a huge difference in, and style and like and like Stan said throughout the interview, Duncan Keith had to play two years in Norfolk before joining the Blackhawks. It's just not that way anymore, and that's something else the veterans are dealing with. So, on the heels of that question, and I'm glad he answered that because I keep hearing how good of a communicator Jeremy is, but then we kept hearing about the veterans struggling with the system, which he addressed earlier. So I asked about the development part of the thing, right? Uh, you know, and I sort of said he's had some success with. Kubalik and Strom and Murphy have all gotten better under the watch of Stan Bowman and Kirby Doc obviously was has been really good too. But you look at guys like Alex Debrinkit, he had a down year last year, and Alex Nylander uh, obviously didn't really improve very much throughout the course of the season. And Stan Bowman responded to both of those criticisms, specifically Debrinkit and Nylander. Nylander is obviously he gets a lot of attention in the in the media. I know that with the fans as well. I think overall, Alex did take a step last year. I think it didn't, it didn't end well as far as the the last game he didn't play. But if if you take that part out of it, he went from a guy that had, he has a lot of talent who had never been in the NHL really before to proving he can play in the league. Now he's got to, he's got to be a more consistent contributor. So I think part of that is on us. And part of that is on Alex to, figure out like he's got he's got a really good skill set with his size and his skating and his shot and his playmaking but a lot of times he's trying to do things that don't pan out and you know if he almost simplified his game um and we've talked to him about this like i think he wants to make a great play all the time and he does pull it off like he's he's got really good skills but he doesn't pull it off enough to to be a consistent performer. And that's why his contribute, his usage goes up and down. So I think that this upcoming year is a, is a critical year for him to now you've shown you can be an NHL player, but can you be a consistent performer? It doesn't mean you're gonna have to score 60 points, but can you be a consistent performer in other ways, you know, driving play, transporting the puck, getting the puck to the net, um, getting more shots on the net. Those are the things that are within your control as a player. You know, Debrinkit's scoring was down last year. There's no question. I actually thought his overall game, though, took a step forward. Uh, and at the end of the day, you want him to score. I mean, he's a goal scorer. He scored 41 the year before. So I think that, but when I look at, I was really impressed with Alex's performance in the playoffs. And he, he only scored two goals, I think. Um, but the, he really brought it. Like he was, he was one of the guys that was intense, competitive. He took his game to the next level. His production still wasn't there. And I, I hate to just say bad luck, but I, there really was a lot of that. Like he took a lot of great chances, which, you know, the year before, I think mo- a lot of those go in. So 
maybe somewhere in the middle is more reality. Maybe it's not going to be 41 every year, but maybe more realistic is a 30 or consistent 30 goal scorer. And, you know, in the good years, he's going to hit 40. And I think, uh, so I think I was impressed with, with Alex's game, even though, the the, uh, the goals were down. So Stan sort of said what we've always said about Alex Nylander without really saying it. The hockey IQ is the thing for him. The tools are there. The skill is there. The speed, the size, everything you need to be a successful scoring player in the NHL, Alex Nylander has. Now it's just a matter of putting it together with the mental side of the game, understanding situations, understanding when to make what play when, and if Nylander can put those things together, I do believe he can be a pretty solid player. It's just a matter of, can he do that? I didn't really <laughs> see any evidence of improvement of that from Nylander as the year went on. But again, acknowledging he's only 22 as well. And I think we do look at him with a special microscope because of the Yokoharu deal. And we sort of expect him to be better sooner because it was such a big deal of a trade. But again, 22 years old, lots of room to grow. Uh, he's got the pedigree. If he can get the mental part of the game together, maybe he becomes you know, a 50, 60-point guy like, like uh, Bowman said. Yeah, and I thought that that was really interesting. I know we've talked a lot about uh, what we observe and always how we kind of caution that their front office potentially sees these guys a little bit differently. And I thought that that was cast into blinding light yesterday. Like there was a big time spotlight shown on that, both with Nylander, who obviously I've been pretty down on. Like, I feel like I can be frank with our listeners that I'm not the president of the Alex Nylander fan club. But I also thought it was fascinating what Stan Bowman had to say about Alex DeBrincat, too. Like, I really that he was a guy that we kind of isolated a lot on in the playoffs that, you know, his obviously his scoring wasn't there during the regular season. I felt like his scoring wasn't there a lot of the time. And there were times in the season where it definitely looked like he was struggling. And I know we had kind of speculated on various reasons of of why like teams being able to kind of like dictate matchups against him and really to like kind of set up their defenses to face him the pressure of the new contracts whatever it was but when Stan talked to us yesterday he kind of uh, surprised me a little bit when he said that he really thought that DeBrincat had made some steps forward in his overall uh, you know all around game last mm -hmm. season and even in the playoffs was doing that too and I don't know if this is just the fact that the playoffs took place so long ago we're already like you know two months beyond when the Blackhawks were last playing hockey games it feels like and Stan really made it a point to say that he thought that Alex DeBrincat <clears throat> sorry Jay the fact that Alex DeBrincat was able to make those developments and take those steps forward and it just goes to show again that this front office certainly has different criteria and a different opinion obviously of some of the players in this system and I thought it was really most apparent when we were talking yesterday about Nylander and DeBrincat just trying to think back on the regular season with DeBrincat and there was that feeling of man, this kid's got no luck. Like, the chances were there, the shots were there, just nothing was going in. He just couldn't finish on his chances. And I think Bowman used that word luck. He did use the word luck. He said, I don't want to call it bad luck, but it's sort of what it was. And then he started the playoffs slowly, and I think something got lit under his butt a little bit where he started playing with a lot of intensity. He was flying around. He was making hits. He was very noticeable in the playoffs. Then he got a couple goals under his belt and looked even better. I'm not worried about Alex Nylander. I know we all sort of struggle with like recency bias, and I think that's part of the reason people are a little down on Dylan Strom right now. They're forgetting how good he was two seasons ago before he was hurt when he just came to Chicago, all those things. Uh, I, I still remember Alex DeBrink it's a year removed from what 41 goals and we mm. were talking about him in the offseason as a legit 50 goal contender and what Bowman said is maybe true that maybe in a normal year for DeBrink he scores 30 in those great years he scores 40 fine I can deal with that that's definitely acceptable uh, as, especially if he can score those 30 with his game being more well-rounded than it was in year one in year two. The one thing, the one qualifier I always have to put on the Dylan Strom thing is that, yes, he did have a really strong surge when he got traded to the Blackhawks in the Nick Schmaltz deal. Like, that is 
Very true. However, he also struggled a lot in Arizona. And then his struggles last season, it's kind of like, okay, we need to find out what the real Dylan Strom is. And so I think the jury is still out and I'm still not – I'm not overly committed to either side of this on Dylan Strome. I think I'm definitely more of a, we should probably wait to see how it's going to play out, especially knowing now that we're not going to have to look at a potentially four or $5 million a year contract for Dylan Strome. That option becomes a lot more palatable to me. And I think that that kind of patient approach is definitely something that can work with him as he goes into next season with the Blackhawks. Want to tell you about our friends out there in Crest Hill at Marishka's 604 Theater Street. They are our day one sponsor, along with our friends at Triple Threat Sports. Go visit Joe Zadralovich and his family at Marishka's. What's Marishka's? You should know by now, but I'll remind you. The poor boys, the steaks, the double baked potatoes, the mountain of onion rings. Man, I love going to Marishka's. I got to enjoy Marishka's in a parking lot a couple months ago after visiting Casa de Zadralovich. That's easy to say uh, out there in uh, where was that Lockport? Yeah, out in Lockport. Uh, man, that food's delicious. Go out there, support these small businesses that support us. They definitely need it. Uh, in in dining now is shut down again because of the recent COVID spike. So get some takeout from our friends at Marishka's. Again, we recommend the Poor Boy. James's favorite is the Yodel Burger, but you really can't go wrong at Marishka's 604 Theodore Street the family owned and operated since 1933 close only on Christmas Easter the 4th of July and Thanksgiving check out marishkas.com or visit facebook.com slash marishkas that's m-e-r-i-c-h-k-a-s so James the one thing before we get to some more audio we'll probably take a break before we get to the audio but I just wanted to sort of say I mentioned it earlier like just the feeling of I had all these things that I've thought of now that we hung up the phone with Stan Bowman. And one question I meant to ask him, and I think he sort of got there with Doc, but I would have liked to have him answer this specifically, was you've got this nice core of young players, right? We've talked about them ad nauseum. Doc, Debrinkit, Strom, uh, Kubelik, et cetera, Boquist, on and on and on, right? Where is the next Jonathan Taves? Where is the next Patrick Kane? Because without those next... Guys like that, I don't know how realistic a Stanley Cup is. Now, the way that that Kirby Doc has developed from day one of the season where he came in with no preseason, remember, and just started his NHL career because he was hurt in the uh, Traverse City tournament. Right. Then taking the few months off, then coming back for the playoffs and looking like a different dude, stronger, faster, more determined, more confident, leading forwards in ice time, playing on the power play and the penalty kill. Do you think that that Kirby Doc could become that sort of generational, you know, future captain, future leading scorer, future Hart Trophy candidate for this team and, and, and in this league? I mean, the way I look at it is that Stan was full of nothing but praise for Kirby Doc. And if you listen to the podcast yesterday, we literally did give him an opportunity to take a victory lap on Kirby Doc if he had wanted to. He balked. Which he declined because he's a classy guy, that Stan Bowman is. But it was very clear that Stan has has a very high opinion of Kirby Doc and says, honestly, a lot of the things, not to give you and I too much credit, but a lot of the things that we've said about Kirby ever since he came into the league was that what he was able to do in terms of his physicality, ability to win puck battles, but then also to use his hands and his skating ability to his full advantage, a lot of that as the year went on did come into play. And I thought that Stan did a good job of articulating that yesterday. And while I'm not sure if he would have like going so far as to say like generational talent but I mean the what we have to tell like the scale now for Kirby Doc like where his ceiling is is probably a little bit higher honestly than it was going into last season just based on the incredible strides forward that he made in a very short amount of time honestly with this team yeah I I I just don't know maybe it's because Kane and Taze were so good right away that you know what I mean? Like they just came out and were great immediately. It was just immediate. Right. Well, and I mean, Taves did have a year of college under his belt too. And I know that's not like much, but he also didn't come into the league the instant he was drafted. Right. And I think it's, you have to sort of, I need to, at least I'll speak for myself. I need to sort of realize that, that 
you know, Kane came in and Bowman said it for a guy to, like Patrick Kane to come in out of junior and be an immediate superstar is almost unheard of. That's right. Crosby. That's, uh, you know, uh, McDavid. It's Ovechkin. Those sort of guys are the ones that come in right away and are great right away. That's not typical. And I think that for a lot of Hawks fans, that fact is sort of skewed the way they've looked at prospects. Like I think Tavo Teravainen is a really good example. Tavo has become what a lot of people thought he was going to become, but it just wasn't there immediately. So a lot of Hawks fans saw him and were like, what's the hype on this guy? I don't get it. He's supposed to be this great playmaker and this uh, this you know generational, not generational, but a really good top six kind of a guy that you can count on for years. I'm not seeing it. Well, that's how it usually goes. It takes people some time to develop into that player. Now that now, you know, Tavo Teravainen is there. I think we have to give the same grace to Kirby Doc, Adam Boquist, whoever down the line. I just think we're we're very spoiled in Chicago where we've had, especially these two, Taves and Kane, come in and be great right away. And a lot of people, and there's no shame in this, but new to the Blackhawks when they got really good didn't see those first two years of Duncan Keith and Brent Seabrook where they were struggling or they're, right. you know, really, really having trouble. And at some points didn't even look like NHL players. It takes time. And to see the jump Kirby doc took from the, the pause in the season to the resumption in the playoffs is hugely encouraging. And I liked the pick and now I love the pick. I, I will point out to our listeners there were there was one or two things I do want to say about Patrick Kane just in case we get accused of revision, revisionist history or whatever. Patrick Kane did have to put on weight when he came into the NHL. There was one of the big knocks on him was that he didn't have enough strength to succeed at the NHL level. He had put on whatever it was, the fabled 10 or 15 pounds of muscle or whatever, became a point of game player after that. Also want to point out it took him nine NHL seasons to get a hundred points in a season, which is mind blowing to me because I didn't remember that it took him that long to do that. Yeah, that's true. And it may be part of that is that when he came out, the team was deeper and they could rely on guys for more scoring. And later on, as the depth got erased, he was counted on for more. But yeah, I mean, Patrick Kane now is a better player than he was when he joined the NHL and when they were winning cups. I think he's more complete. He's Mm -hmm. he's figured out now, like you said, nine, 10 years into his career, how to really be a guy who makes a difference every shift. I don't know if that was the case with him when he was young. Look, 2013, who could forget Brad Marchand sort of chirping him, saying, like, you haven't done shit in this series. And Patrick <laughs> Kane's like, oh, I haven't? Hold on a second. And Hold then, on <laughs> one moment, please. <laughs> right. It, like, Brad Marchand, like, woke him up. And he's like, you're right. I haven't done much. Let me fix that. And then just tore him apart. Yeah. Um, you know, so that's now that Kane has become this more consistent player that it it can take more than two years, more than three years to reach that absolute peak. And uh, look, we've got a nice long road ahead uh, with Kirby Doc as a Blackhawk. And, and I'm really, really excited to see it play out. Also want to point out that Patrick Kane will be entering his 14th NHL season this Damn. year. That's one crazy. four. That is absolutely nuts. Uh, you were on the topic of just a question that we didn't get a chance to ask Stan. And there was another one that I had really been hoping we could have asked him. Um, I really was curious to get his take on why the team didn't uh, give qualifying offers to Drake Kajula and Slater Cuckoo. I felt like those guys are really, those were players who could potentially fit under the parameters of what Stan is trying to do, which by the way, repeatedly yesterday kind of, pushed back a little bit against this being a traditional rebuild where you kind of just like tear everything down and start over. Definitely spoke more of the language of the reload, which is kind of what I had hypothesized when this announcement was first made. So thought that was interesting, but I really wanted to know like why specifically guys like Drake Kajula and Slater Cuckoo did not warrants being fit into that being included in that especially with the cost that would have been involved and with their relative youth I thought that was a very interesting decision by the Blackhawks to potentially clear out some roster spots in that way yeah and sort of thinking about that too look they know the players they're right there they know how old they are and I guess Bowman just sort of decided like well these two are not really in my future plans or he said there are more people that are blocking spots for young players mm-hmm. and I'd rather give young guys a look and I don't really know who the young guys are up front aside from Suter who seems like kind of a roster lock 
uh, just like Cahoon was and like Camp was, and then uh, obviously to a better extent, Kubalik. Like, I don't know, Highmore, Hagel, to me, those are... I, I don't I don't mean to be dismissive of dismissive of those guys, but we've seen a lot of guys like that come and go. The Ben Smiths, right? The guys who they play hard, they do all the right things, they hustle, they finish their checks, and then they're just kind of gone. And you don't really miss them. You like them, but you don't really miss them. They have some nice moments in their careers, and then they move on. I would I counter that I the Blackhawks do miss Dominic Cahoon. Cahoon is different, but I mean like the um, Ben Smith types. The David okay. Camp types, the, just the traditional bottom six sort of depth guys that had this been the 2010, 2013, 2015 team, they would not have been part of things. Right. <laughs> you know, uh, so uh, aside from those guys, Kurashev, I guess, would be the closest thing to a top tier forward ready to take a step. I know Evan Barrett's a guy that you really like, you've really focused on. Yep. I just don't know where that next generation of forward is coming in this, you know, when you look at the depth of the of the system, also kind of a shame. We're probably not going to get any type of. I don't know if we're going to get a traditional prospect camp this year, which is always a good place to yeah. kind of look and see where the players have kind of taken steps. Because honestly, a lot of these guys are already overseas or are already playing in junior leagues. I saw the, I think the Chicago Steel have their first preseason game tonight. So. Wow. There's a lot of hockey going on like right now that's not the NHL. So these guys have all been kind of scattered to the winds. So there's not going to be that opportunity for Blackhawks fans to kind of get everybody under the same roof and uh, kind of examine what they're doing. So I guess maybe one of the jobs of this podcast is going to be to keep everybody up to date on what all the players are doing in junior leagues and overseas. Yeah, no doubt. And that's going to be really all we have to talk about for the foreseeable future. By the way, James, you mentioned something and – it's a piece of audio that we had not discussed before the show that I just remembered we had uh, on the terms of a full rebuild. I asked Stan Bowman the non-hypothetical hypothetical where I said, if a GM wanted to move a $10.5 million contract, how difficult would that be? Here's what Stan Bowman had to say there. Well, I, I think right now it's the, the financial picture of the cap is, is really challenging for every team. There's a handful of teams that have a fair amount of cap space right now. But if you, if you were to compare that to say three or four years ago, there was a lot more teams that had more flexibility. So now most teams are looking more at dollar in dollar out type trades. Um, you know, that can change as the years go by and teams have players expire who they don't renew. They may open up more cap room, but, if you look at it today, just if you were to pull it up and see, there's a handful of teams, like of one hand, how many have like a lot of cap room. The rest are really within a couple million of the cap or less or over it. So I think big moves like that, uh, if you're trying to trade a significant dollar amount, would entail a lot of money coming back your way. And that's the way the deal would have to be structured. So it could, could be a good player making a lot of money coming your way, but to, to think that you're going to offload big dollars in today's environment, it's just not happening. So very difficult <laughs> in this day and age <laughs> to move that sort of a contract. And I think we all know that. And look, if they are going to trade a Taves or a Kane, the team that's going to want that player is a team that's contending. So you're going to have to take some salary back. You're going to have to probably match the money at best, or you're going to have to eat half of that contract at which point, Maybe it just makes more sense to keep Kane and Taze for the next three years of their deal because I think both those guys have three solid years left. It's not ideal they make $10.5 million, but I think, I don't know, you might be better off having those two around as these young players come through the system and begin developing. Yeah, I mean, obviously, I'm not going to complain if Patrick Kane's going to be on this roster on opening day. I think you would be kind of a fool to do that. Like, yeah, $10.5 million in a flat cap salary league is kind of rough, but at the same time, it's Patrick frickin' Kane. You know, like, it's a guy who, even in a year where it what maybe wasn't his best season, he still had 84 points in 70 games last season. Like, he's still an incredibly good hockey player and certainly worth top-tier money in this league. So keeping him around is not going to be an issue to me. I think the only 
concern that I had with any of this kind of talk was the seeming unwillingness of Bowman, like the almost like when he said, um, I want to I'm trying to remember how exactly he phrased this. I think he said he did not anticipate asking any of the big four to waive their no movement clauses. So I, I feel like in a in the spirit of a true rebuild, I do think you do need to at least kick the tires on that at least a little bit. So that that maybe surprised me a little bit. But obviously, looking at Patrick Kane's numbers, it's pretty damn obvious why you would want a guy like him on the Chicago Blackhawks. And Jonathan Taves, Lawrence Holmes asked me this the other day on his show. He asked me how much treads left on those tires with Jonathan Taves, and I just kind of shrug my shoulders like was that kind of the wrong attitude to take that we honestly don't really know what we're going to get out of Jonathan Tabes in the future based on health usage deployment all that stuff was I wrong to kind of express some uncertainty there no I don't think so at all you also have to you know you have to look back where a couple years ago he had really down year numbers wise and he seemed healthy right it just he didn't seem to have that explosive burst, and he didn't seem as strong as he usually did. And some people credited that to a change in diet and a change in training, and he sort of had to figure that out. Then he bounced back to be the Jonathan – well, close to the Jonathan Taze we all remember. I think he's got three years left of good hockey. I don't know if he'll be first-line center material the whole time, but the good news is that if Kirby Doc develops like he has been, if he takes a jump this summer like he took from March to August – then, yeah, then that's the number one center probably already if he can start converting on some of those great chances he gets. So it's a nice place to be where Doc seems like he's ready to take that next step maybe a little sooner than people expected. Um, But look, it's got to happen. We can talk about it. We can look at evidence that it might. But until it actually happens, Jonathan Taves is your number one center. Let's take a quick time out. But first, want to tell our listeners about our friends at Dr. Squatch natural soap company handmade in the usa some of the best smelling uh best exfoliating soap products you've ever bought i went and bought dr squatch sort of on a whim i I stumbled across an instagram ad i had been struggling with dry skin uh to the point where the skin on my knuckles would crack and bleed just sort of at random and i'd had enough so i'm like i'm gonna try this i'm gonna try dr squatch subscribed loved it had immediate improvement in my skin condition and uh wrote them and said hey look i'm i'm a true believer in your product let's get on board on the podcast here and they jumped right on so go to drsquatch.com best thing to do top right corner take that squatch quiz it'll sort of guide you in the right direction once that's completed you go to checkout enter that promo code madhouse20 and you'll save 20 percent on your order and help the podcast at the same time Join Squatch Nation. Go to DrSquatch.com and remember to use that promo code MADHOUSE20. When we come back on the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast, could Adam Boquist start the season in Rockford? Something Stan Bowman told us yesterday could point to that direction. We'll fill in the blanks next on the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. Today on News 4 at 4. It's one of the most anticipated lists of the year. Consumer Reports' top new vehicle picks. Susan Hogan is working for you, showing you the safest, most reliable cars for your money. Today at 4 p.m. on NBC4. Many kids in our area are back to in-person learning, and we are helping you keep them safe in the classroom. We're working for you. Small steps you can take at home to protect them at school and expert advice to ease anxiety for you and the kids. This week on News 4 Today on NBC4. London Stock Exchange Group is here to be your essential global markets infrastructure and data partner, where open isn't just a platform, but a philosophy, giving you the freedom to make your mark in the world. LSEG, open makes more possible. Welcome back in, friends, to this edition of the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. James Naveau and Jay Zawaski with you. We've been talking about our uh, our new status as big-time hockey podcasters. We talked to Blackhawks VP and General Manager Stan Bowman yesterday. We've been replaying you some of the highlights from that interview. And, Jay, one of the best bits of audio I think we got from Stan was when we asked him about Ian Mitchell and his development curve. And instead of just talking about what he thought Ian Mitchell was going to be able to do at the NHL level and what excited the team so much about him, he brought another Blackhawks prospect kind of into the fold as he talked about that. I do expect him to. Like, I, honestly, I thought a year ago when he decided to go back to school, uh, for his junior year, he was captain of Denver. 
we had talked to him that summer. Uh, and I thought at that time he was ahead of Adam Boquist. You know, he's a year older than Adam, a year and a half older. Uh, so I, I say that not to put Adam down, but, I, you know, I think just Ian's probably total game is maybe a little bit more mature. And uh, so I, I don't think anything's changed, you know, in, in the intervening time, he went and had a really good season. And I think the thing that's impressive about Ian is uh, he's a pretty well-rounded defenseman. Uh, he certainly has the offensive ability. You know, he's comfortable with the puck. He can carry the puck. He was, you know, he ran their power play. Uh, but he did everything. He was their big minute guy on defensive situations, penalty kill. Uh, he is a true two-way defenseman, and he's not a big guy. That's probably the the biggest thing he's going to have to learn. Is uh, he's strong, but he's not tall. He's five eleven defenseman. So that's probably the the adjustment for him is going to go from college level to the to the NHL. You're going to have to be able to handle the fastest players, the biggest, the strongest. And, you know, that part of it is probably the adjustment for him. But I think his, he really is a, a well-rounded defenseman, um, very good skater, active player. You know, you, you know, some guys are good skaters, but they don't use it that often. They, they kind of pick their spots. Uh, I think Ian's more of in motion a lot. I mean, you'll notice him. Like, it would be hard to watch a, a game with Ian in it and just say, I, I, didn't, I didn't notice what he did or I didn't see him. He's a pretty active guy, and I think uh, I think he's going to play a big role. Now, whether he hits it right away, I think that's what we're trying to say is I'm not sure, and I hope he does. But if he doesn't, if he needs time in in and out of the lineup, or if he needs time in Rockford, that's okay. It's not a it's not a failure. Like we're not trying to say this guy's the savior, but I do I do think that he's going to be a in the coming years, he's going to be a, a really important player for us. I didn't even notice him saying that yesterday, James. I didn't notice him saying that he thought that Ian Mitchell was ahead of Adam Boquist before last season. Mm. And the way he's been talking throughout all these interviews he's done is he talks about Ian Mitchell as part of the plan on right defense. And when you look at this r- roster, there's only really – I mean, technically there are zero spots for a prospect – but I think realistically, there's one spot, that right defenseman side spot, that's going to go to either Boquist or Mitchell. And look, one of those guys is going to get it, and the other guy's probably going to be in Rockford because you're not going to have a kid up here not playing. Yeah, and, it, and it, the way that Stan has been talking, like you do have to ask the question, is Adam Boquist going to end up in Rockford next season? And I would say that based on the conversations I'm sure that the Blackhawks had with Ian Mitchell about not burning the first year of his ELC to get him into the playoffs, yada, yada, to me, I feel like the part of that calculus had to be, look, Ian, we're relatively certain that if you come into training camp and you earn that spot, it is yours. You are not blocked from winning this. And if that's the case, Jay, like you said, that could potentially be a situation where Adam Boquist is going to be on the outside looking in. The one thing I will caution people about with that, however, is that Stan has also spoken about Adam Boquist potentially being a good defensive pairing partner with Nikita Zadorov. So Yeah, but he said he always says both names. That is true. I'm yes. just saying that he's still including him in that mix. Like there is a scenario potentially where maybe you like shuttle a veteran out of the lineup every once in a while. Maybe you make a trade that we're not kind of expecting. Like maybe a guy like Connor Murphy gets shipped out of town. You know what I mean? Like there are scenarios in which both guys could end up in the lineup. However, It was very interesting to hear him talk about Ian Mitchell like that yesterday, and especially to draw that contrast to Adam Boquist and to say they thought Ian Mitchell could have potentially come to the NHL last season, and instead he went back to college. So it's one more year of development, and clearly this organization is very high on Ian Mitchell and frankly sounds like they're optimistic about him being able to come in and make an impact right away. Well, and sort of on the heels of that, another thing that Bowman has said a lot is that just because a guy gets sent down to Rockford doesn't mean he's failed. It doesn't mean it's not going to work. It's just part of the natural progression of development. Maybe just maybe. And we're probably connecting dots that aren't necessarily there. But maybe he's sort of saying that with the premonition of, look, Boquist might start this year in Rockford. 
or maybe it's Mitchell because I think all of us are like, well, Mitchell's going to be part of the team. We haven't seen him play very much, but we're all pretty much ready to anoint him. I know I am, um, <laughs> and I'm guilty of it. I probably shouldn't be, but I'm, I, I do think that he's going to make the team and should. But Bowen's gone out of his way several times to say, look, just because a guy gets sent down for a couple games or a month or whatever doesn't mean we're giving up on him, doesn't mean he's a failure, doesn't mean he's done anything wrong. We just feel like more ice time, more situational play can be helpful to their development. So that's a storyline I'm going to be watching very, very closely heading into training camp next season. Who's going to be, I don't know if you want to call it, six or seven, Boquist or um or, or Mitchell, but that's going to be a hell of a contest to watch. And I still have high hopes for both of them, huge hopes for both of them, honestly. And I think Boquist is going to be really, really good. But I do feel like looking at his skill set, looking at his game, of those two, he might be the one who benefits more from some time in Rockford. That's definitely possible. And I think it's going to be a really uh, – it'll be a nice palate cleanser from what I'm sure is going to be a barn burner battle between Colin Delia and Kevin Lankin and Malcolm Subban to be the starting goaltender of the Blackhawks next year. I want you to right now, 5.27 p.m. on October 23rd, 2020, James, who's going to win the goaltending competition? By the way, happy birthday to my dad. The October 23rd part of that reminded me of that. So happy birthday, dad. Don't think he's listening, but got that formality out of the way. All right. That was me dusting off my hands. I I am going to say that I think that Malcolm Subban is the opening night starter for the Chicago Blackhawks. And I do think that Colin Delia is his backup and eventually usurps him during the season. Interesting. All right. I could see that playing out. Uh, I, I agree with you that Subban is the guy. I agree that Dealey is the backup. And I think however it works out, it could be good. Even if, let's say, let's say Lankinen outplays one of them. Maybe just a little bit, right? I think that having Lankinen maybe be the full-time Rockford starter, at least for a while, could be a good thing for him. Just as he's got the least pro experience of the three. Um, and then you have whatever Delia and Subban and whatever order you want to put them in and Lankin and getting the bulk of starts. Cause I do think, and maybe we should have asked Dan this, but he probably wouldn't have answered it cause it just would piss off the other two. <laughs> I think when we're talking about ceilings in Bowman's eyes, I think he thinks the highest ceiling belongs to Lankin and just based well, that's on something that we've talked about a lot too, is yeah. that there are people in this organization who are very high on Kevin Lankin and. Well, we're going to see. That's going to be uh, an awesome storyline to watch. So, to me, those are the big two. Who's going to win between Mitchell and Boquist? Maybe they both win. And if that's the case, which veteran's going? Because mm. that's going to be really – and you want to talk about, you know, trading for young talent. Connor Murphy, we talked about Brandon Saad and his value. We thought that he had a lot, maybe more value than he did. Connor Murphy, that dude, I think – the back issue lingers. That's a problem, and, p- and teams know about that. But when you're looking at current guys on the roster with trade value, Connor Murphy's might be the highest aside from, of course, Doc Boquist prospects, guys you're not trading, right? I say, guys, there's no way they're getting rid of, you mean? Right. Well, you never know, but <laughs> there might be another I swear, I swear to God, there. do not stand. <laughs> if you're listening to this podcast, you know we're your new best friends. Do not trade Adam Boquist right now. Do not do it. Don't do it. All right. Before we get to uh, some other NHL odds and ends, I want to tell you about our friends at Fry the Coop, frythecoop.com, Oaklawn, Elmhurst, Westtown, coming, coming soon to Prospect Heights and a neighborhood near you. What's Fry the Coop? Nashville hot chicken. I know it's all the rage. I know a bunch of places are trying to do it. I know chains are trying to do it. No one's doing it as well as Fry the Coop. And I think compared to even the legendary places in Nashville, Fry the Coop is right there. I think I prefer them to all of them. So go visit our friends at Fry the Coop. You will love it. The best part about right now, if you've got some COVID concerns, you don't want to go in a restaurant, place your order online, walk up to the takeout window. They hand you the bag. They're masked up. They're wearing gloves. They hand you your order, and you're gone. You do not have to go in. Uh, you don't even have to make contact with money or a card. You pay online. You go grab your bag, and you're done. Frythecoop.com. I recommend the chicken tenders to start. And just a little warning. If you think you're a tough guy, all right, you're going to order the hot. I'm just warning you. I really like hot food. The hot makes me hallucinate, and there's two levels above the hot. So be careful. Be warned. 
Fry the Coop is going to satisfy your spicy food needs. If you don't like spicy at all, you can get the country style. No heat on there at all. Just some of the best chicken tenders you'll ever have. Fry the Coop. Frythecoop.com. Come get your happiness at Fry the Coop. All right, Jay, you know what it's time for, right? We've been going over all of the kind of highlights of the show. We've been going over kind of our impressions of Stan Bowman and what he was telling us about. So we have turned this question over to our lovely, lovely listeners who are all beautiful people as far as I know. They, we have asked them very simply, after hearing our interview with Stan Bowman yesterday, do you feel better about the direction of the Chicago Blackhawks? Jay, have you looked at the uh, numbers lately, or am I going to have to just tell the people what they've uh, come to? I looked before we started, then I hit retweet just to see what we would get in the 45 minutes or so that we, that we were podcasting, so I have not seen updated numbers. Okay, do you want to take a guess then at about where we're at? I'm going to say... 65% say no. We are currently with 226 votes cast. 67.3% of Blackhawks Nation says no. They do not feel better about the direction of the Chicago Blackhawks. So, you a little bit surprised by that, or is that kind of uh, par for the course what you were expecting when you uh, posted this? I'm a little surprised. I also will acknowledge that there's a lot, probably a lot of people that haven't listened and just voted anyway. Um, and you know, cause I retweeted it from my own account and people are like, no, I feel bad about the Hawks cause I hate Stan Bowman. Okay. I feel better about it. I don't know about you, James. I, I don't know if I agree with it, but I think my big complaint this whole off season has been, what's the plan? What's the plan? I've asked that question dozens of times. Well, it's been laid out. And while it may not be my ideal plan, at least it's a plan. At least I see what Bowman's thinking. And, uh, I guess Look, now, like we told him yesterday, you've laid this plan out specifically. You've detailed what you want to do. Every move from here on out is judged under that microscope. So he's got to be ready for that. And he said he was. He insisted that he was ready for whatever pushback he was going to get from that. Yep. So I feel better just in the fact that I know there's a plan. Uh, Also, you know, the cut we played earlier about the difficulty of moving, you know, a giant contract that's that that sort of changes the the conversation too because it's nearly impossible even if they wanted to trade Taves or Kane right now it's almost impossible to do that right but I also think that Stan Bowman is going into these conversations looking to add guys to the team who are going to make them better in a year or two not three to four years down the line so I think as long as we're honest about what this rebuild entails to the Blackhawks. I feel like that's going to be fine, and I'm willing to let to see that play out. But I also will say again that I don't feel like this is your standard rebuild. I don't. I'm very leery of kind of half measures in situations like this because I've seen. I think we've seen the last couple of years what happens when you try to reload on the fly instead of trying to get younger and get some more young assets into your pipeline and into your draft pick pool, basically. We've seen it. It doesn't really work. And I'm really nervous that they're going to try to continue these half measures. And eventually, when they do decide to do full teardown, are you going to give Stan Bowman and carte blanche to do that, too? Like, I'm trying to kind of figure that out. But after talking to him yesterday, I do have a better sense of where his head is at. And I think that as long as we keep in mind what exactly Stan Bowman's plan is and do not let him kind of deviate from that in one direction or the other, I am willing to give him that opportunity as long as we're being honest about what it is that we're facing. Look, he's clearly not going anywhere. He's clearly got carte blanche, like you said, to do what he wants to do. There's nothing we can do or say that's going to get him fired. So we sort of have to accept that this is what we're dealing with. And I'm very pleased about this level of transparency because, again, now this puts on-the-record pressure on Stan Bowman to deliver probably for the first time since he's been the name to GM. And again, I'm going to, I will say it again. I thought he was very forthright with us. I thought that he gave us a lot of material that kind of, we had to chew on and kind of reconsider because I think that it was maybe coming at this problem from a different angle than we had come at it from it previously. I definitely think we got all of that from Stan yesterday. And again, I feel more optimistic simply because I know what, like you said, 
kind of what the plan is. I don't know if I necessarily agree with the plan, but I like the fact that Stan articulated it and we know exactly what it is because that term rebuild can be kind of nebulous. You can take that in a lot of different directions. I thought Stan has done a good job both in our interview and with interviews with everybody and their mother, apparently, (laughs) that has done them over the last couple of days. I feel like he's done a very good job of kind of honing it down and showing us exactly which direction that arrow is pointed i agree all right before we wrap up you said you had some important nhl updates for me Yes, we had a couple of NHL headlines just wanted to uh, throw out there to our listeners. We did talk with Stan a little bit yesterday about the general manager meetings and kind of the status of the regular season. Stan had told us that he basically knew as much as we knew. GMs meeted today. Didn't get a lot of clarity on the situation. I know I saw reports that the NBA is looking at potentially starting its season around Christmas. So that's obviously an interesting sign. I'm not sure what the NHL is exactly planning on doing right now. Between that and the news today that Canada is going to start allowing international travel if you take rapid COVID tests at the airport. Mm. Apparently that's going to be a thing that could have an impact on the NHL in the next couple of months. So not really sure what exactly we're going to get out of the uh, COVID world. And speaking of COVID, Jay, I have bad news. I think I saw this uh, already today. The 2021 winter classic has been canceled. Oh, well, guess what, James? Uh, This in from the spectator index, Uh, the U S reports over 80,000 new coronavirus cases the highest daily figure since the pandemic began. Part part of that is increased testing. Of course. But also part of that is that it's fall, and that's what's probably going to be normal, unfortunately, for at least a little while here as people kind of start to retreat inside, and hopefully we can find some type of uh, middle ground where we can stay safe. But, yeah, those numbers are obviously not looking good. Jay, I did want to – I wanted to challenge you because it took me a second to remember today. Do you remember who was supposed to play in the Winter Classic on January 1, 2021? Was it the Wild and Predators? Oh, close. It was the Wild and the Blues. Ah, well, I knew it was someone I don't like. The NHL also (laughs) has canceled the All-Star game in Florida, which obviously there was no no way that was going to happen starting on January 1st, you know? I mean, that's... That was pretty blatantly obvious. That game wasn't going to happen. They should start the season with the All-Star game. That'd be kind of interesting, (laughs) wouldn't it? We predict you're going to be good. I mean, NASCAR (laughs) starts its season with its biggest event. Why not? Look at you. You are an innovator, my friend. Get Pierre (laughs) LeBron on the phone, damn it. All right, let's wrap this up. We are really long. Thank you, everybody who's checked out our interview with Stan Bowman and our reaction to Stan Bowman reaction podcast. Uh, We've had a lot of fun. We'll be back with you next week with a brand new episode of the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. Until then, stay safe, stay healthy, and uh, boy, we're maybe two months away from hockey. Fingers crossed. Let's hope they can get this thing started in January because there's going to be a ton of Hawk storylines to watch. Thanks for listening to this episode of the Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast. The Madhouse Chicago Hockey Podcast was brought to you by Triple Threat Sports, Marishka's and Crest Hill, Dr. Squatch, and by Fry the Coop. It's time for some straight talk. Tax returns could look a little different this year. So when the big carriers start trying to get you to splurge on the latest nonsense, just tune it out. With Straight Talk Wireless, you can get a Samsung Galaxy A51 for just $199. Plus, get our unlimited plan with no contract on America's best networks for up to 50% less. Tune out the nonsense. Tune into Straight Talk Wireless. Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. Savings may vary. See straighttalk.com. Hey, we haven't even pulled away from the drive-thru and you're already digging in the McDonald's bag. (laughs) Aw, babe, just a few. (laughs) All right, I guess I can't blame you. Pass me some, too. (laughs) The smells too good to get it all the way home meal. There's a meal for every moment at McDonald's. And now your favorite spicy chicken McNuggets are back. Get a six-piece spicy or classic for just two bucks, only at McDonald's. Price and participation may vary. Cannot be combined with any other offer or combo meal.